Hello, critical thinkers. Welcome to this episode on Fauci. I've been waiting for a while to do this one. Serious congressional investigations on COVID are underway, and hopefully we'll all get the answers that we're looking for, like, can I still go to Wuhan for vacation this summer? All that ahead and more on this episode of the Healthy and Awake podcast. So the pace for today's episode will be quite different from some of the ones in the past, especially the past few. We're very health focused. Uh, This one is very awake focused. And I have a lot to say before I even get into the actual meat of the episode. A lot of clips today. And this is very important uh, because I'm not exactly here to share my opinion on Fauci although I'm, I'm sure I'll get some of that in there. Uh, there have been congressional hearings on the origins of COVID, and a lot of interesting things have come out. And given how much this has affected our attention, our mental health, our physical health with COVID, and people trying to make decisions for us about our health, mandating certain things, I see this as extremely relevant. And like I said, I'm going to, as much as possible, try to withhold my opinion and and just present the facts and the video clips so that you can make decisions for yourself. And so first, why is this important? Well, staying awake means staying informed. And in this particular instance, with the hearings and Fauci, uh, if you're to get all of your information from the TV, you are not informed because TV isn't exactly broadcasting some of this information. As a matter of fact, uh, you can make a case that TV only shows one side of the information and cultivates a narrative. And that's actually discussed further along in today's episode. Uh, So staying awake means staying informed. I don't know about you, but I don't want the government making health decisions for me. This is something that we've faced a lot of for the past few years. And I think there could be some good arguments for mandating certain things for for health. Like there could be strong arguments. I'm not saying I believe them. Um, but when you start to explore the truth and liars and institutional corruption, it sort of erodes the arguments in favor of mandating certain things for your health. In a perfect world, hey, let's let's mandate absolutely uh, perfect products that have a perfect result from perfectly trusted authorities in a perfect world. But we don't live in a perfect world. You would have to be naive to believe that everything could be so perfect. Um, And I'm speaking in hypotheticals here. Um, The truth is important. You know, the circumstances that I'm alluding to here have affected all of society, not just in America, but all across the world. And extremely important is that exploring this sort of thing is a component of critical thinking, which is what we're all about here. I start every podcast episode, hey, critical thinkers. So a critically minded person doesn't veer away from talking about this. They lean into it and they ask more questions. 
And I say that because I know a lot of people nowadays, I experience this regularly, do not like to ask questions on these sorts of topics. Some people have just made up their mind and they're comfortable with what they already believe. Uh, and we know that's not how truth works. That's not how critical thinking works. That's not how reasoning works. That's not how intelligence works. And I could go on. Uh, so before I go any further, I do have a disclaimer here. It's, it's quite a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, this is not a conspiracy theory show. Uh, I know when these topics around Fauci come comes up, um, especially from a critical perspective, people can be quick to put you in a category. Oh, you must be a conspiracy theorist. Oh, you must be a MAGA Trump Republican. Oh, you must be an anti-vaxxer. People want to put you in a box. And uh, I, like I said, I'm only here to talk about the truth. I would ask you to relinquish the tendency to put me in a box and instead have an open mind. Because um, I, I personally, for myself, resist all those boxes. I don't put myself into any category. So I can say with certainty, whatever category you are trying to put me in is incorrect. I only care about the truth. Um, so it is tough to talk about these things because some people do not actually care about the truth. Like I said, they just want to be comfortable in believing what they already believe. They'll do confirmation bias just to, to prove themselves right instead of trying to find the truth. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, this is important. I'm grateful to have an audience that does uh, appreciate the truth and that does critically think and that does uh, appreciate the in intricacies of exploring the details and finding the truth together. Uh, I really do appreciate that. And I put this disclaimer because I know sometimes people stumble onto my page and, you know, maybe this is the first episode you're hearing from me. Uh, but yeah, people don't like to admit that they've been fooled. People can be sensitive that they, you know, feel an attack on their identity. I, I see this a lot. I, I have some family like this. If I criticize Fauci, they feel like it's a personal attack on them or I can't say anything about Fauci without them personally feeling attacked. Uh, this is a type of mental weakness, technically, uh, that someone could be so fragile that they can't even, uh, you know, contend with some of these ideas. And again, I, this is not my audience. I realize that. Uh, but just in case, I'm throwing out these disclaimers. And so I'm going to end the disclaimer by saying that I'm a, a good person. I try to be a good person. I'm not trying to offend anybody. Um, I'm not going to uh, try to be derogatory towards Fauci, as tempting as it might be to call him certain names. Uh, you know, with you'll see with what's ahead. Um, and, you know, I know the truth can be offensive, but if the truth is offensive, then, you know, I guess I'm offensive because uh, I'm here to tell the truth. So let's proceed. Please be open minded. We're, we're adults here. And I guess that's enough disclaimers. Uh, it, if, if I get worked up, please understand that I'm not worked up uh, or angry at my audience. I'm, I'm angry at the, the corrupt people who get away with some of these things. So Fauci, let's talk about Fauci. The disclaimers are over. I appreciate you bearing with me on that. Um, if you like Fauci, maybe you do. I know people do. Uh, I invite you to challenge your own beliefs here. I think you'll see some things ahead that might surprise you. And unless you know per, uh, Fauci personally, unless you, you know, have met him and regularly speak to him and have an understanding of who he is as a person, it is essentially a fact that everything you know about him 
is from information that comes from propaganda channels. We've talked about this in episode one. So you're getting it from TV, uh, social media, government distribution channels, which is as propaganda as it gets. Um, So consider that everything you know about Fauci is illusory or a type of illusion. So now we're going to get into the clips. A lot of them, uh, I'd say more than half of them are based in the most recent congressional testimony. Uh, As I record this, it is March 19th, 2023. And this is from about a week and a half ago. And there are Democrats and Republicans asking questions. This is a uh, bipartisan effort. The clips are, well, clipped for brevity, so they're not too long. I try to keep them between one and three minutes. And a lot of the good parts are from Dr. Redfield, who is the former director of the CDC. So we're not talking about some guy off of the street here uh, or some nobody. This is a clinical virologist who was the former head of the CDC or director of the CDC. Um, Now, I'm trying to keep this as apolitical as possible. So I've clipped it accordingly. But if you are interested in this topic, you can uh, check the show notes for the links. I'm going to do my best here with the links. Uh, But you can also look it up. There are some funny parts in there where uh, they're they're trying, all the politicians are trying to present themselves as being apolitical, not political at all. And uh, some of them start like, you know, we're we're here to take this seriously. We got to get to the bottom of COVID-19. And uh, also, sir, you on the other side of this panel, I must say you are a racist. And (laughs) and they just go off like, oh, we're not going to make this political. But also you're a racist. So if you want a good laugh, if you want to see politicians being politicians, both sides, um, check out the full three-hour testimony. Uh, I know it's been a while since my last episode, and it's mostly because it, it's taken a long-ass time to get all these clips together uh, from not only the three-hour testimony, but also from uh, other clips as well, like former uh, congressional hearings. All right. Without further ado... Uh, Here's clip number one. This is Dr. Redfield talking on some suspicious activity. Uh, Well, I'll I'll let him tell the story. Here we go. This is one and a half minutes. I will say, if you go back and look, it's declassified now. And I'm sure you all have your classified uh, briefings. But the declassified information now, in September of 2019, three things happened in that lab. One is they deleted the sequences. It was highly irregular. So researchers don't usually like to do that. Second thing they did was they changed the command and control of the lab from the civilian control to the military control. Highly unusual. And I've been involved in dual-use labs when I was in the military. And the third thing they did, which I think is really telling, is they let a contractor redo the ventilation system in that laboratory. So I think clearly there was strong evidence that there was a significant event that happened in that laboratory in September. It's now been declassified. You can read it. I'm sure there's more classified information around it. Thank you. Um, Dr. Redfield, the New York Post reported that you stated, I could use the word cover-up, 
cover-up, but I don't know that, so I'm not going to speculate that. <laughs> Do you believe there was a cover-up? And if so, why would federal agencies work with legacy media to silence scientists and other Americans asking questions about the origins of SARS-CoV-2? Yeah, and I'm not a big uh, fan of quoting the New York Post. I don't think I use the word cover-up, okay? I think there was an attempt to misguide, redirect the debate, uh, uh, but I, I wouldn't have used the word cover-up. Thank you very much, and I yield back. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't heard about that on the news, or that hasn't been a widely talked about the breaking story that there were, you know, suspicious activity going on at this lab that Fauci immediately said, hey, look away. No, no, it, it wasn't a lab leak. Look away. And we, I'm going to show those clips, too. We, we know that he tried to get people to look away. Uh, the military got involved. Hmm. That's interesting. Why would the military get involved? Don't don't the military deal with weapons? Fauci doesn't have anything to do with the military or weapons, right? Right? We needed to put into place a plan uh, to deal on a public health basis and on a biomedical research basis. The difficulty is this was totally uncharted grounds for us. So I found myself, um, again, uh, never imagining that I would be doing this, needing to learn from people that I never thought I would be learning things from, namely bioweaponers, people who were our own bioweaponers in the United States decades ago, uh, international figures, people from other countries, the UK, and also, and importantly, defectors, uh, particularly from the Soviet Union, who had vast experience in the ways of biowarfare. And what I learned very quickly, that if we're going to mount a defensive program to guard the homeland against bioterror, we had to understand some fundamental things that may seem obvious, but when you're planning a multi-billion dollar program, they're not so obvious. Okay, so that's an older video from C-SPAN, uh, Fauci himself, talking about his experience in bio-warfare and bioweapons projects. I'm sure he just stopped that completely, though. I'm sure there's uh, no connection. And uh, especially when he gets so nervous that he's shaking at some of these testimonies, uh, these hearings. I'm sure it's nothing. I mean, if there were a link, like of him developing bioweapons or having a role in developing bioweapons, I'm sure he would tell us and do the right thing and be honest. Um, but let, I mean, let's see. I, I don't know. I'm keeping an open mind here. I, I don't know either way. Um, Let's look at the next clip. Uh, this is another one of Dr. Redfield talking about red flags. And keep in mind, he already said that there seems to be some sort of uh, narrative control here. Now, this next clip is, uh, this is going back to the recent congressional hearing, the most recent one. And ahead, as we go through these clips, I will be going back and forth. Uh, between some newer and older ones. And I'm going to do my best to be very clear. So this one is the most recent. I think uh, just to emphasize, uh, in, in, in early to mid-January, I did have multiple calls with Fauci, Farrar, and, and, and Tedros about how important I thought it was that science 
get engaged in, in aggressive, aggressively pursuing both hypotheses. I also expressed as a clinical virologist that I felt it was um, not scientifically plausible that this virus went from a bat to humans and became one of the most infectious viruses that we have for humans. All viruses are not the same. So when you look at coronaviruses with, for SARS and MERS, for example, when they entered the human species, which they did via an intermediate, they never learned how to go human to human. Even to this day, they don't know how to go human to human. So you can't equate Ebola with a coronavirus. Now, why do you why do you think you were excluded from those calls? I, I, because it was I was told to me that uh, they wanted a single narrative, and that I obviously had a different point of view. If you really want to be truthful, it's antithetical to science. Thank you. Science has debate, and they squashed any debate. Thank you. Given what we know now, and looking at all the conversations in February of 2020, and before the release of the paper, do you think that uh, Dr. Fauci used this paper to hide? The gain of function research created the gain of function research created this virus. I can't talk about Fauci's motivation. Do you think that the paper does hide the truth? I think it's an inaccurate paper that basically was part of a narrative that they were creating. Remember, this pandemic did not start in January at the seafood market. We now know there was infections all the way back into September. This was a narrative that was decided that they were going to say this came from the wet market. And they were going to do everything they could to support it, to negate any discussion about the possibility that this came from a laboratory. I got 20 seconds left. Dr. Fauci was affirmatively told in, told in an email that uh, NIAID had a monetary relationship with the Wuhan uh, Institute through uh, EcoHealth Alliance. He, he was told this in January 27th of 2020. Do you think that Dr. Fauci intentionally lied under oath to Senator Paul when he vehemently denied NIH's funding of gain-of-function research? I think there's no doubt that NIH was funding gain-of-function research. Is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? I think it did, not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. I'm out of time. That's a juicy one. So much there. So, I'll start from, from the beginning of that clip. Note that uh, this doctor here, Dr. Redfield, is a clinical virologist, while Dr. Fauci is an immunologist. So if anything, uh, you could make a case for Dr. Redfield being more qualified to speak on these topics than Dr. Fauci. I know people like Fauci because of his uh, decades of experience, and that's fine. That's respectable. But this guy is also worthy of respect. So with that in mind, why would he be excluded from the calls? Why would Fauci supposedly a very science-oriented person, exclude another doctor, director of the CDC, from very pertinent calls. Well, Dr. Redfield seems to believe that he wanted to squash the debate. It really bothered me these past few years, this trust the science nonsense, because there's no trust in science. Science is built on a lack of trust, on skepticism. Not on trying to prove your hypothesis, but on trying to prove your hypothesis wrong. That's what real science is. And so it drove me nuts when these people who know nothing about science at all would read Business Insider or Vice Magazine and say, hey, come on, I know the science here. What a joke. You couldn't tell me how a, a scientific paper is constructed. Tell me like five basic components of a scientific paper right now. 
You couldn't. There I go, getting worked up. Uh-huh. But it, this is important. Uh, people who know nothing about science shouldn't proclaim themselves to be trusting of the science. I mean, there's nothing more ascientific than trusting the science. So we know, uh, based on this testimony, that he, uh, that Fauci seems to have lied about gain-of-function research. He tried to control the narrative, and that's going to become even more clear with some of the clips ahead. And another important thing that was mentioned there is the seafood market, um, how Dr. Redfield said, look, we know it wasn't the seafood market. They keep trying to say this. I mean, there's evidence that it happened before then, and their narrative, they're trying to base it on the seafood market. And I'll tell you what, March 19th, 2023, I saw a new article today. They're still trying to push this. If, if you don't know how to decipher propaganda, you might unsuspectingly read one of these garbage, ascientific articles and think, wow, okay, I guess Fauci is still telling the truth. It came from the wet market, the seafood market. I'm just going to believe this propaganda. And hey, maybe you do. Maybe you don't think it's propaganda, even though technically it is. Um, but why lie? Why, about, why lie about the funding? Which he did. He lied about the funding. Let's, let's go to that right here. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain-of-function. What was, let me finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans. You're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. I love that. You do not know what you are talking about. You know, it's really a shame. We've talked in the past about cognitive biases, basically filters that your brain operates on that manipulates reality, the way that you perceive reality. So you kind of live in a false reality because of your cognitive biases. And if you are the type of person who treats politics like a team sport, if you're a diehard Republican, if you're a diehard Democrat, well, you can fail to see liars. This applies to both sides because you just trust the person on your team. This is an inherent, hardwired bias, and humans are filled with them. You cannot avoid them unless you are aware of them. And if you think that you are not susceptible to these types of biases, you are the most susceptible. If you think, oh, I have my own political preference. I have my team politically. I have a party that I prefer. But there is no way that it biases my thinking. Impossible. It is impossible. Simply not possible. You are fooling yourself. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a political party or a political preference. That's not what I'm saying. But this type of thinking invites vulnerabilities into the mind. So you can still have your political preference, but you have to be aware of this so you can protect yourself. So, for instance, and and up until this point, I've said both sides. But in this particular instance here, if you happen to be a Democrat... I've seen this play out. Many of the Democrats discounted 
this type of testimony, this type of interviewing between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci, who, Rand Paul, who is also a doctor, by the way, uh, the news, the mainstream narrative can use Rand Paul being a Republican to attack the mind of the Democrats. They can say, look, this is Republican savagery. What a uh, ruthless, uh, disrespectful piece of crap Rand Paul is attacking the most respectful Fauci like that. They can play games with your head and they can cause you to stop asking questions and, and to feed into creating a false reality. Especially when you see Fauci coming up with ad hominem attacks, which he didn't really do it in this one, but uh, he does it in some of them ahead. Uh, ad hominem attacks is an attack on the character instead of the argument. So instead of going, you know, Dr. Paul, <laughs> I won't try to do his voice here, but uh, instead of instead of saying like, hey, let's talk about the emails. Here's why the emails are wrong. And, and he just eventually starts attacking Dr. Paul himself, Rand Paul himself. But let's get more into some of the emails because uh, this is something that uh, Dr. Redfield has talked about in some of the recent ones. So that clip of Rand Paul and Fauci, that was an older clip, I, I believe from last year. Whereas this next clip, again, is from the current, uh, the most recent testimony. This is uh, Dr. Redfield. Dr. Redfield. I want to stick with you. You you have said before that you were locked out of conversations about the lab leak by Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. Do you think they kept you out of the conversations because you believe COVID-19 may have come from a lab? Yeah, I think I made it very clear in January to all of them why we had to aggressively pursue this. And I let them know as a virologist that I didn't see that this was anything like SARS or MERS because they never learned how to transmit human to human that I felt this virus was too infectious for humans. There was a lot of evidence that lab actually published in 2014 that they put the H2 receptor into humanized mice so it could infect human tissue. I think, you know, we had to really uh, seriously go after the fact it came from the lab. And they knew that that was how I was thinking, although I thought we had to go after both hypotheses. And I was told later, uh, I didn't know I was excluded. I didn't know there was a February 1st conference call until the Freedom of Information came out with the emails. And right. I was quite upset as the CDC director that I was exclu excluded from those discussions. Well, uh, why would they do this? Because I had a different point of view and I was told they made a decision that they would keep this confidential until they came up with a single narrative, which I will argue is antithetical to science. Science never selects a single narrative. We foster, as my colleague here just said, we foster debate. Mm -hmm. And we, we're confident that with debate, science will eventually get to the truth. This was an a priori decision that there's one point of view that we're gonna put out there and anyone who doesn't agree with it is gonna be sidelined. And as I say, I was only the CDC director right. and I was sidelined. It's just so crazy. And, and if you still, like if we're only halfway through and it makes me think of uh, in, in fifth generation warfare in the episode that we talked about uh, the guy named Yuri, the, the KGB defector who talked about using propaganda towards ideological subversion, which is, you know, not just like a one-time, uh, propaganda effort through like an advertisement or something like that. This is a, uh, generational thing. You're, you're trying to brainwash generations of people. And he said, 
This is going on in America. And part of the purpose of ideological subversion is to create a mentality in, in the Americans where, on one hand, they can't critically think at all. And on the other hand, even if they were presented with the truth, they wouldn't believe it just because the reality has been shaped by the propaganda and their critical thinking has been constructed by the state, essentially. And so you see these pseudo-government actors like Fauci. I mean, I guess he is. He's the, the highest paid government official, Fauci. So he isn't even pseudo. He's, he's government. And, and I, it's just mind-boggling how people can deify this person. Like, like he's infallible. Like he couldn't possibly be a liar. Has to be from ideological subversion because critical thinkers don't think like that. They don't think. Like they don't resist with, with high emotion. Like, ah, how dare you criticize Fauci? You're an asshole. Right? Critical thinkers don't think like that. And I have so many people in my head as I'm saying this. I know so many people. Um, but I, I don't want to get too opinionated here. Um, there's more clips. Uh, so I'm going to post a link to the emails that's being referenced in the testimony. This is from somebody's Twitter, uh, War Clandestine. He's a very popular uh, Twitter user who shares, he stays on top of all these things, BioClandestine, he goes by. And um, so you can follow him if this interests you. I have two clips ahead. of uh, These are both with Rand Paul and Fauci. So these aren't the most recent testimony, but uh, from older hearings. So I think these are from the, the same hearing, but I split them up uh, for shorter clips. So this first one here is Fauci and Rand Paul. It's a two-minute clip. Here we go. In an email exchange with Dr. Collins, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Apparently, there's a lot of fringe epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. And you quote in the email that they were from Dr. Collins, and you, you agree that they are fringe. And immediately, there's this takedown effort. A published takedown, though, you know, doesn't exactly conjure up the image of a dispassionate scientist. Instead of engaging them on the merits, you and Dr. Collins sought to smear them as fringe and take them down, and not in journals, in lay press. This is not only antithetical to the scientific method, it's the epitome of cheap politics, and it's reprehensible, Dr. Fauci. Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? The email you're referring to was an email of Dr. Collins to me. If you look at the email that you responded to and hurried up and said, I can do it, I can do it. We got something in wire. No, magazine. no, no. I think in you usual did. fashion, Senator, you are distorting everything about me. Did you First ever object all, to Dr. Collins's characterization of them as fringe? Did you write back to Dr. Collins and say, No, they're not fringe, they're esteemed scientists, and it would be beneath I, me? I did not do that. You responded to him that you would do it. And you immediately got an article you, in Wired you, and you sent it back to him and said, hey, look, I've got him. I nailed him in Wired of all scientific publications. That's not publications. what went on. You there did. you go again. That you was just do the same thing every year. That was your response. And so, this, was, so, this wasn't the only time 
So your desire to take You're down people... You're absolutely incorrect. As usual, Senator, you no. are incorrect. Almost everything you well, said... Well, no, you deny. You deny. Right. But the emails tell the truth of this. No. <laughs> As usual, you were a liar. Man, it's hard to like this guy when you watch this. So he's, he's making a concerted effort to discredit prominent doctors. Prominent epidemiologists from, what did he say, Stanford, Harvard, and Oxford? These are fringe doctors, apparently, according to Dr. Fauci. Anyone who disagrees with Dr. Fauci is a fringe doctor. Now, what do you expect him to do? Like, he got caught lying, okay? You look at the emails, right? You look at the evidence. Forget what either of them are saying, okay? Let's put aside biases, whether you like Paul or Fauci or whether you hate them both or whether you like the other one or, like, whatever. Put those aside. If you look at the evidence, Dr. Fauci did try to discredit doctors that were going against the narrative that Dr. Fauci created and, and tried to push. He got caught lying, objectively. He has two choices. Either he can go, okay, you got me. I lied to millions of people, which caused, uh, you know, a whole bunch of ruckus. Or he can double down. Like, no, you're a liar. It, the, so this is where the ad hominem attacks come in. Instead of, you know, saying like, hey, let's talk about these emails. Let's talk about, about why you're wrong. Here's the details. This is important. I'm speaking from the truth. Let's talk about the truth. Here's the truth. That's what a truthful person would do. That's what somebody who's not lying would do. But instead, he busts out the ad hominem attacks. You're a liar as usual. You're distorting reality as, as usual. You, you, he's trying to paint a picture. You're this vicious person. Like... Some people fall for that. Some people feel bad for Fauci because Dr. Rand Paul, this guy trying to find the truth and put evidence out there publicly, he's the jerk somehow. Crazy. All right, but let's continue. This is, I, I believe, is uh, continuing from that last clip. This wasn't the only time. Your desire to take down those who disagree with you didn't stop with Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. You conspired with Peter Daszak, who you communicated with privately and other members of the scientific community that wrote opinion pieces for Nature. Five of them signed a, a paper for Nature, an opinion piece. Seventeen signed a paper that called it conspiracy theory, the idea that the virus could have originated right. in the lab. Do you think words like conspiracy theory should be in a scientific paper? Senator, I never used that word when I was referring to it. You're distorting Virtually everything. Did you communicate with the five scientists who wrote the opinion piece in Nature where they were describing, oh, this, there's no way this could have come from, was from the lab? That was not me. What did I did. Did you talk with any of those see, scientists but privately? You keep, the, you keep distorting you? the truth. It is, it is stunning you talk, how you, you do Did you talk that? to any of the scientists privately yes. who wrote the opinion? You did. Well, what were they telling you privately? Well, let me explain. You know you're going back to that original discussion when I brought together a group of people to look at every possibility with an open mind. So you, not only are you distorting it, you are completely turning it around. As For most you of the scientists do. that You're completely turning it around. Really? Is Dr. Redfield completely turning it around too?
in this most recent testimony? What about the evidence that continues to pour out in on the Twitter files? I really hope people wake up to this because it's pretty clear, especially like read the the real Anthony Fauci. There is no reason to to not like that book. It's well researched. It's extensive. Check it out if this topic interests you at all. The real Anthony Fauci. Okay, so I have about five clips left before we wrap up. And this next one, I'll let it speak for itself, uh, but it gets at, at Fauci possibly paying people off. Dr. Reptil, you, were, you're, uh, you, you ran the CDC and you were on the Coronavirus Task Force, is that right? Correct. That was formed on January 29th. 2020. Is that right? Correct. Two days later, Dr. Fauci gets an email from Dr. Anderson, which says what? Virus looks engineered, virus not consistent with evolutionary theory. Is that accurate? That's my understanding. Next day. I know. Did he share that email with you, by the way, Dr. Redfield? No. As a member of the task force, as a head of CDC, did he share that email with you? No. Okay. Next day, February 1st, Dr. Gary sends Dr. Fauci another email. That email says, I don't know how this happens in nature, but it would be easy to do in a lab. Did you share that email with you, Dr. Redfield? No, you no. didn't see either one of those emails, even though you're head of CDC, even though you're on the coronavirus task force that had been formed just two days, three days earlier. No. Three days later, Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, who told us it came from a lab and emails to Dr. Fauci that Dr. Fauci wouldn't let Dr. Redfield see. Three days later, they changed their position 180 degrees. The question is why? Mr. Wade, why would they change their position that fast when the only intervening event is a conference call with Dr. Fauci, the guy who wouldn't let Dr. Redfield see the very emails that they had sent him, Dr. Redfield, head of CDC on the coronavirus task force. Why would they change their position, Dr. Wade, or Mr. Wade? Uh, well, this question does lie at the heart of the um, issue. But what is pertinent, it seems to me, is there's, there's no new scientific evidence that we can see that came uh, available between these dates, Jan 31st I, and before. Right. There's no new. I think you're... Go ahead. So you have to ask if there were other, other kinds of influence available. <clears throat> now, it is true that, that <clears throat> Dr. Fauci and Dr. Farry in London were very powerful research officials, and between them, they controlled... I read, I read your testimony. I saw okay. that. Yeah. So... Why don't you cut to the chase and tell them what you really think was the reason? I don't know what, what the reason was. I, I know what it was. I, go well, ahead. no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you say it because I read your testimony. I think you, you said it in your testimony too. Maybe you're reluctant <clears throat> to say it here, but go ahead. Well, if you're looking at the timeline on um, May 21st, just a few weeks after the Nature, Med uh, the Nature Medicine article had come out, uh, two of the signatories of the original email to Dr. Fauci, that's Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, were awarded a $9 million grant for the... So there's $9 million reasons why they changed their mind. I knew you'd get to it. I read that last night. Three months after, so three days after they say it came from a lab, they changed their position and the only intervening events, a conference call with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins, again, a call that Mr. Redfield was not allowed to be on the head of CDC and on the coronavirus task force. And then three months later, Shazam, they get nine million bucks from Dr. Fauci. Well, isn't that something? Isn't that something? That's why we want to talk to these guys. 
That's not suspicious at all. I mean, if I had $9 million, that wouldn't influence me in any way. It's probably nothing, right? Let's, let's just forget about that. So $9 million going to these people. And then, you know, just as a coincidence, they change their mind. Doesn't mean anything. Come on. Don't be a conspiracy theorist. So, I mean, where is the trust? How are we supposed to trust anyone? People are being paid off. People are being discredited. Narratives are being created. Is this propaganda? Because if, if this isn't propaganda, I don't know what is. So, uh, <laughs> the whole system's broken. And, you know, the average person, we can all agree, money doesn't belong in... in well, let me state this carefully. Um, we all agree that, that money corrupts. But for some reason, a lot of people just completely tune that out over the past few years. They just refuse to believe the possibility that money could be a factor here. In, in, or power, right? Or power could be a factor here. No, these are just good people with nothing but benevolent motivations. All right, so there, there is some manipulation, it seems. And, you know, it's, this is just the testimony, right? I'm, I'm still, think for yourself. I don't want to tell you what to think here. Uh, this is another clip from the recent testimony. Um, just looking at my notes here. I, I don't have much written, so let's just play this. Um, uh, the scientific community uh, is is very afraid to speak up on political issues, and I think the reason is that um, the government grants are handed out through this system of peer mm -hmm. uh, peer review committees, and so you don't want you don't want any single scientist on your peer review committee to vote against you. Uh, therefore, because you'll do, you won't get your grant, it's so competitive. So therefore, scientists are, are very reluctant to get to say anything that is politically divisive or might turn other scientists off against them. This this means that they cannot be relied upon in the way that I think we would like them to to be independent and forthright and call it as they see it. Okay. Well we we saw this first with the proximal origin paper that said, quote, our analysis clearly showed that COVID nineteen is not a laboratory construct or a purposely manipulated virus, end quote. This was first published on February 17th of 2020. Each witness, I have a simple question, yes or no. Was there science available to make such an unequivocal statement against the possibility of a lab leak that early on in February of 2020? Dr. Absolutely no. Mr. Wade. Uh, no, it was not. Yeah, I, I don't have sufficient, I don't have sufficient frame of reference to give an answer. No. Next, Peter Dosick of EcoHealth Alliance orchestrated a letter in The Lancet, a prestigious journal, on February 19, 2020, that said, quote, We strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin, end quote. Each witness, yes or no, is the possibility COVID-19 leaked from a lab a conspiracy theory? Dr. Absolutely not. Uh, uh, I would say no, but also um, it has been approached as such. Dr. No.
All right, sorry for the extended silence at the end there. Um, okay, so the lab leak theory is not a conspiracy theory, according to some of the leading doctors uh, who are very uh, relevant to this discussion. And I, I get frustrated with this because I know people who, um, you know, made me feel marginalized for even considering that, for even asking the question, for even entertaining the idea that it might be a lab leak. And they ply the label that you're a conspiracy theorist. I've had people unfriend me for thoughts like this. I've had people uh, unsubscribe from my newsletter because I mentioned this as relevant news, like part of my newsletter, check it out, redpillhealthandwellness.com. I send out uh, podcast updates and, and news updates with relevant stuff like this. This is the awake part of Healthy and Awake. And uh, I, I don't know for sure if it was because I mentioned this, but uh, it wasn't until I started mentioning this type of stuff that somebody unsubscribed. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a type of cognitive control around these, these ideas that go against the mainstream narrative where we know now that it's true. Well, okay, let me be more careful. Um, we know now that it could be true and is not a conspiracy theory. But but you can see how this label of conspiracy theory is a neat trick to get you to stop thinking. If we can call something a conspiracy theory or apply that label to somebody, you are a conspiracy theorist. You're dismissing their humanity. It's rude to do that. You're not worth listening to. You're just one of those conspiracy theorists. How can we get along as a society with this type of thinking? It's basic, it's it's the same intellectual laziness as racism. We don't like racism because it's intellectually lazy. It's you're making an assumption about somebody because of their skin color. It's dumb. It's really dumb to do that. So we we've, you know, for the most part, we've gotten rid of that. Most people are not racist like they were 50 years ago. But instead, we have those same human tendencies, those, those same inclinations to put somebody in a box. And the system manipulates us by exploiting those systems in our brain to turn our fellow humans into the enemy. You are a conspiracy theorist. You should not be listened to. Shun them. Shun the conspiracy theorist. Don't you see what's happened? So in that clip, he talked about how scientists are afraid to even be honest, afraid to even speak up. You can't have real science in that type of environment. And I know people, like they, they view science and, and scientists as like through this lens of religion. Science is infallible. Peer review, it has to be peer-reviewed. Look, there's, there's good reason for the peer-review process. But that doesn't mean it is without imperfections. Clearly, this is a leading doctor saying that, look, th this system incentivizes lying. People are, are like not necessarily lying, but it creates an environment where it's tough to tell the truth. Scientists are afraid to speak up because there's basically peer pressure, scientific peer pressure. It's not the fun kind where drugs are involved. <laughs> um, that's a joke. But so the, is the truth dead? It, it seems like the truth is dying. If real science, you, you can't even speak up because of the way these incentive structures are in place. 
So, you know, it peer review has a purpose. It, it has its value, but it shouldn't be used to limit thinking. And, and these other scientific practices, too, shouldn't be used to limit thinking. Like, I, I don't have any peer-reviewed studies that show me the sky is blue, but I know from my own eyes, from examination, from, you know, using critical thinking and, and being observational, that the sky is blue. I don't need a peer-reviewed study to tell me that. But when you become dogmatic, it, it creates errors in thinking. And the dogmatism, this, this narrow way of thinking, happens when people treat science like scientism. Now, there's a difference. There is science and there is scientism. Science is a practice. It is a set of standards to behave in a certain way, to you know, create certain information. It's a way to organize data and, and observe and analyze and make interpretations. And it's, it's a process. Scientism is taking that process and, and deifying it to a point where it's like an, a religion, right? And you often see this with people who don't have a religion. I'm not criticizing atheists or anything like that. But, you know, because there's this innate drive that we seem to have as humans when people, you know, have this vacuum in, in where they just don't have any sort of religious or spiritual practice at all, they can fall susceptible to treating science like a religion. And they can start to deify people like Dr. Anthony Fauci. And they can start to limit their thinking by just only thinking through the lens of peer-reviewed study. I won't even consider it if it's, there's no peer-reviewed study. These systems, these rigid systems can be exploited by mega corporations. The pharmaceutical company, read the book Pharmageddon. The pharmaceutical industry uses the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses of these types of systems and incentive structures to manipulate the minds of the masses. And you're seeing testimony from doctors laying it out there. Look, we can't even be honest as doctors because of this peer-reviewed system. It creates incentive for us to just hold back. So these are things that need to be talked about. And if you're going to let the news think for you, if you're going to let the TV anchors think for you, if you're going to let the people they put up in suits and, and white jackets on TV that, that are possibly getting money, that possibly have conflicts of interest, if you're going to let them think for you, you are going to be fooled. And you don't want to be fooled because it's tough to convince somebody that they've been fooled. We're watching that unfold right now. So, all right, we have another clip. And uh, the notes that I have here, well, I'll, I'll save the notes for after. I, I've said enough so far. Let's go into the next clip. Dr. Metzl, I wanted to, to ask you, you mentioned that there were scientists who refused to be silenced, uh, insinuating that there were efforts to silence. And I was just wondering if you could kind of brief what some of those efforts were. That you sure, sure. So when a small handful of us uh, in the earliest days of the pandemic began raising the possibility of uh, a possible lab origin, there was just, as I said, ferociously strong headwinds. There was this manufactured consensus. And I kept digging. And like I said before, I'm, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I'm, I consider myself a progressive person, but I kept digging. I couldn't find the justification for these strong arguments, calling people like me, investigating, looking into pandemic origins in good faith, conspiracy theorists. Uh, and it was very difficult. So we had a, a small group that formed later in 2020 that is, others have called the Paris Group. Um, all of the members of that community 
were aggressively trying to place uh, scientific papers with journals and had zero success. So there was a wall that was extremely difficult uh, to get over, which is why what I said to this group is, look, we have to try to get around that wall. And that's why we, we published our four open letters that I believe had a, played a significant role in, in uh, along with other things of starting to shift at this conversation. But it took more than a year of this kind of aggressive work to, to even start to begin that type of change. And some of that pushback came from our government, too. Is that correct? Well, it, it was mixed. I mean, certainly from what we've heard, um, there were leaders of the United States government who, Dr. Fauci had said he's, he was open to all possibilities. But then the next sentence was the preponderance of science suggests a natural origin. I'm a fan of Dr. Fauci, but I, would, I don't like to scream at the television. But when I heard those, those words, I would say, well, no, no, that's not the case. That's not what the science, at least as I'm reading it, is, is saying. To what you were just saying. This is what I would refer to as fifth generation warfare. We've talked previously about how a component of fifth generation warfare is attacking the mind, is attacking your cognitive vulnerabilities, taking advantage of those biases and heuristics that we've talked about today. Knowing that some people are practicing scientism instead of science and using that facts, using that information to, you know, basically accumulate more influence. And, and these are cognitive attacks against them, against people like the doctor who just spoke, saying like, look, I'm a Democrat. I'm... I, I appreciate Dr. Fauci. I'm just speaking what I believe to be the truth. And they attacked me. He's a civilian getting attacked with these coordinated information operations. These, this is psychological warfare against him, against people like him, and against you. They think you are too dumb to think about the truth that you're too stupid to make these decisions for yourself, that you cannot handle the reality of the world. So they create narratives. They manipulate the truth. I mean, beyond manipulate the truth, they fucking lie. Listen to those who they try to silence. Challenge labels that they apply to people. You're an anti-vaxxer. You're a conspiracy theorist. Get out of here. That should be a red flag. So, of course, doctors are afraid to speak up. Of course, it's hard to figure out what's the truth. How can you get informed consent? How can you make proper decisions if you don't even have all the information in front of you? Because good doctors like these people are trying to speak up and reveal the truth only to be squashed and discredited and attacked. They think you're a moron. OK, let's go to the next clip. This is uh, only one minute talking about misinformation. This is, uh, I, I should mention, not from the recent testimony. This one is from a few weeks ago. This is from Dr. Makari, who is a surgeon and public policy researcher at Johns Hopkins University. A surgeon and public policy researcher at Johns Hopkins University. Here we go. Misinformation. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, 
that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's four to 28 times more common after the, the vaccine. That young people benefit from a booster. Misinformation. Our two top experts on vaccines quit the FDA in protest over this particular issue, pushing boosters in young, healthy people. The data was never there. That's why the CDC never disclosed hospitalization rates among boosted Americans under age 50. The vaccine mandates would. So with all this talk in the past few years about propaganda and misinformation, you could make a case for the government being one of the greatest perpetrators of that. I mean, there are so many things that people like me said, hey, this is true. Hey, look out. Hey, don't trust these people. Only to find out that some of the government actors were lying. Who would have thought that the government would lie? Who would have thought that? The government shouldn't be trusted. All of history indicates that. And there are some people that want to give more power to the government. It's crazy. All right, we have one clip left. And then we're going to uh, wrap this up. I'm going to show this one clip. I, I saved the best for last. And then I'm going to say some closing points and, and we'll end it there. Dr. Redfield, what do you think that we should and could do to regain that trust of our public health sector? I think the first and foremost is we've got to tell the truth. When you don't tell the truth, you've got a problem. And I think if you go back, there were many times when public health officials packaged the message to what they wanted to say, but it wasn't necessarily truthful. The second thing, you have to have the courage when you're a public health official to say, I don't know, when you don't know. And I think the really fundamental, that's how we begin to lose it. When people say that we're going to be okay once we get 30% immunity, and then later they say 50%, and then later they say 70%, and then the press says, well, why did you say 50% before, and now you're saying 70%, and, you, and the guy says, well, I didn't think the public was ready to hear that. Thank You've you, got to tell the truth. This country would have been so much better if people were listening to Dr. Redfield instead of Dr. Fauci. What a reasonable person. Tell the truth. Don't mollycoddle the, the public and say, oh, we told you this because we thought you were morons and that you couldn't handle it. So we lied about masking and percentage effectiveness and all these things. Come on, man. That, that I mean, it sounds like Joe Biden there, but come on. So there, I wish I had said this earlier in the episode, but um, this is more, maybe not breaking news. I, yeah, I guess it kind of is breaking news. This was just from the other day. Um, the continued Twitter files of uh, journalists revealing some information that people would not like out there. And so we know that the Virality Project, which functions as a censorship organization uh, in coordination with the CDC and the Biden administration, censored true facts. So you have Dr. Redfield saying, hey, we need to tell, tell the truth. That's the answer to regaining public trust. Tell the truth. But even if you do tell the truth, you could be censored thanks to the Virality Project. And I'm going to quote here from some of the Twitter files. This is some direct quotes ahead. 
uh, VP, that's Virality Project, told Twitter that true stories that could fuel hesitancy included things like celebrity deaths after vaccine or the closure of a central New York school due to reports of post-vaccine illness should be considered standard vaccine misinformation on your platform. Note that I said true stories at the beginning there. Uh, VP warned against people just asking questions, implying it was a tactic commonly used by spreaders of misinformation. It also described a worldwide rally of freedom planned over Telegram as a disinformation event. Even in its final report, VP claimed it was misinformation to suggest the vaccine does not prevent transmission or that governments are planning to introduce vaccine passports. Both things turned out to be true. Last point here. The Virality Project was specifically not based on assertions of fact, but public submissions, uh, but public submission to authority, acceptance of narrative, and pronouncements by figures like Anthony Fauci. The project's, and this is uh, Matt Taibbi here saying this next point, the project's central animating concept was you can't handle the truth. So Fauci's out there hiding facts because it's inconvenient for him, hiding information about the lab and funding, and vaccine information, and even medications. We have all kinds of studies on medications we know are effective that he said are not. And all that's to say, we think better than you think. We know better than you know, and we are better than you are. So listen to us. That's what they think of you. I'll leave it there. Check the show notes for links. I have a lot of links. Like this, this episode could have been 20 hours, but I tried to keep it to one hour. Uh, so I'm going to post a few links that go beyond the scope of what I've discussed here. These are mostly substacks from people who go way, way deeper into this than I do. This is very important. And I'm telling you what, if you don't get ahead of this now, you're going to be left behind because this is just the beginning. It's going to keep uh, going to keep coming out. This information is not slowing down. It's been drip, drip, drip. I'm waiting for the flood. So until next time. Oh, you know what? First, I should probably plug my own business. That's part of what this podcast is for. So I'll make this quick. Uh, I've made a lot of changes to my website. So please check out redpillhealthandwellness.com. Uh, make sure to please subscribe to this podcast. Uh, leave me a comment, like it, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, but especially check out the health program on my website, redpillhealthandwellness.com. If you're looking to take control of your health, this is the program to do it. But uh, I'll leave it there. I'm going to try to get an episode out in, in a few days. But until then, stay healthy, stay awake.